Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 through 14. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is God's word. Um, I'm so excited that uh, Tom, Tom Fine, is going to be speaking to us today and sharing from his heart. Let's give it up for him. And... um, Tom, uh, many of you know this, Tom has been uh, uh, at one point an elder of this church. Um, He is a leader. He is a man after God's own heart. And I'm really glad to hear, uh, ready to hear what God has put on his heart to share with us today. So um, let's listen up. And Tom, take it away, man. We love you. Thanks, Kenny. You guys hear me all right? Wow. Um, That's God's word that was just read. And I thought, you know, it's a heavy word. Amen? Um, When I first read the passage when Vince asked me to to preach today, I I read through it and I was like, oh, I get it. This is a well-timed absence. By Vince and Kenny, because they didn't want to <laughs> preach on this this topic. <laughs> I was like, oh. seriously convicted as I read it. Um, no, but it's good. It's good for my heart. Um, I'm not normally a preacher. I don't have skinny jeans, or. What, are you, what boots are you guys wearing nowadays? I, I got Birkenstocks. I threw those on. I got my Hydro Flask. I got to kick, kick that over a few times. And uh, I'll be watching to make sure you guys are tracking. You tracking? Right? Set the... <laughs> uh, uh, but seriously, the passage... I get to speak about sexual immorality, something I've struggled with. How many of you guys have struggled with sexual immorality? Raise your hands, men, women. Just everybody raise your hand. (laughs) Um, It's 
crazy. I remember I was um, back in the day in Colorado. I met with one of my, I was in a kind of a home group type thing. I met with one of the leaders. And I had built up this courage over the course of months to tell someone that I had struggled, was struggling and having an issue with pornography. And I remember meeting with my, my past, I guess he was a pastor of sorts, he was a leader. And I, I, I was crying and I'm telling him this, this struggle and I'm just looking for someone to, to share that with, to share that burden, to help shepherd me out of that darkness. And I remember he said, he laughed and he said, you know, it's probably just something all men, are, all of us men are just going to struggle with until Christ returns. And I was crushed. I was crushed. I was crushed because I didn't want to struggle with that ever again. I, I wanted Jesus to take that struggle from me. Today, as we look at the passage, the kind of you might look at it as a, a maybe some people think it's outdated. It's for a, it was written for a people in a time back back in that day, not necessarily applicable to us. Or you might think that it's one of those passages in God's scripture that's a mystery, a gray area where theologians debate what it means. Does it mean this or that? Or you might actually look at the scripture and you might define those terms, impurity, sexual impurity, immorality, covetousness. You might actually define them in a way that makes sense to you. Like, here's an example. Yeah, I'm, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but it's not sexually immoral. I love her and she loves me. And I plan on getting married to her. My love is pure. It's not immoral. Maybe you think that. Um, this passage is not any of those things. It's, there's no gray area. There's no obscurity. There's no mystery to this. It is. Paul is saying what he's saying. And in order to understand what he's saying you kind of have to understand where he is. And Kenny talked about it a little bit last week. The, the city of Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. It was the capital of Asia Minor. It was one of the seven great wonders of the world. <clears throat> it was a major hub of attraction for people, for tourism, for art, music, food, commerce. But it was known for its temple the temple of Artemis. And it was dedicated to this pagan goddess of fertility. And it was known for this seductive sexuality of worship to what's the goddess Artemis or otherwise a Roman goddess known as Diana. And in that time, this cult, this, this worship, this group, it was so popular, it brought great wealth to this region. And you can imagine Paul's dealing with all of this. He's thinking... He's talking to the Christians there, the early church there, and he's dealing with that background, that culture. It was a culture that promoted sexuality as an aspect of prosperity. Like you were, if you were prosperous, you, you dabbled in that. 
You satisfied yourself. Prominent families had artwork that was pornographic. It was, no, it was well known um, that sex was just what they did. It was part of their culture. It was natural. It, wasn't, it was unremarkable for men to be sexually attracted to teenage youths, both male and female. And I guess I probably should have said this before I started. This is a PG sermon, so if there are any parents out there who have kids in here, I apologize. Uh, I'm probably forcing a later conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Prostitution was legal, it was public, and it was widespread. Um, there There was no real moral censure. In fact, in that same century, in that time period, there was a Roman orator named Marcus Cicero, and he said this, if there is anyone who thinks that young men should be absolutely forbidden the love of courtesans, that's basically a a male or, or female escort, he is indeed extremely severe. I'm not able to deny the principle that he states. But he is at variance not only with the license of what our own age allows, but also with the customs and concessions of our ancestors. When indeed was this not done? When did anyone find fault with it? When was such permission denied? When was it that that which is now lawful was not lawful? And last week, Kenny went through... Chapter 4 and into verse, uh, ch- uh, the beginning of chapter 5. And he talked about being called to live differently than those Gentiles, right? He contrasted this Gentile living, sexual immorality and impurity, with people who are light livers, the Christians there. And you think about this. Paul is talking to a bunch of people who have been doing this. This isn't weird for them the only thing that's weird for them is he's saying this has been your norm don't let it be anymore he talked about putting off your old self being made new and putting on a new self and he ends last week with that passage Ephesians 5 1 and 2 therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's often said we're human beings, not human doings. This language that we're starting off this chapter with is one and two. It's, 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 it's identity language. Saying this is who you are. Paul last time said, these are some don't, don't partake in these things because this is who you are. And this week he's saying, this is who you are. And then he's calling them to something deeper. As beloved children who are father or loved by our father. As uh, beloved children who are to imitate our father. Paul's calling us to something. So this week, we're going to talk about what he's calling us to. He's calling us to be people that live in the light. 
What does it look like to be people that live in the light? An hour, you said, from now? Okay. So he ends reminding of identity. Ephesians up through now, up through chapter, all the way one through four, we're constantly reminded of our identity in Christ, what Christ has done, what that makes us. So we go into this remembering our identities. I want to just kind of set up a little bit of an outline, a passage this week. The question I ask is, all right, how do we live as people of the light? And I think there's two things. Repent and believe. So I get to talk about sex and repentance. What a great combination (laughs) to have to deal with in a sermon. Popular after this, I'm sure. (laughs) And I think these are key to what Paul's calling us to. And I... I got to maybe qualify what I'm saying in the sense that there's probably a lot more to this passage. I'm not saying all it does is talk about repentance and belief. These are the two things that as I was studying, I think God put on my heart, obviously for me, but also for a new city. And when we think about repentance and belief, repentance... I think there are three things that we, that we can pull from the scripture. One is there's no gray area in repentance. There's no, there's no gray area. Two, repentance brings freedom. And number three, repentance has to be honest. It's got to be true. And belief, I think there are two things that we're going to talk about through the scripture today is one that God is, God's trustworthy. You can trust him. And the second thing is, his way is unmatched. It's unsurpassed. There's nothing better than what his way is. And I love that, that Paul, in this passage, he sets a bar, right? Last week, he's like, don't do these things. This week, he's saying, don't even think about them. Don't let it be on your mouth. Don't be named among you. Don't let it be even... I mean, it's one thing to go have an affair or have sex and and partake in what the culture is doing, but he's telling the Christians of this time, don't even let it be named among you. There's no gray area. Last week, I I remember sitting in in the chair listening to Kenny thinking this. It's funny. It's pretty sad. I was thinking, all right, I got this. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not partaking in any of these things, you know, like that Paul was uh, telling him. And then as I read this week, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not so good after all. The bar is higher than we think, right, with regards to God's holiness. And Paul's saying, as Christians, don't even let it be named among you. Do you think it's because of of God's reputation he's worried about? Is it the reputation of Christ that he's worried about? What do you guys think it is? 
I was thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, he, he's, he wants to defend God's reputation. God doesn't need to defend his reputation. It's defended. It's good the way it is. I honestly think Paul's saying this to the church. He's saying, guys, I don't want your reputation to be bad because there are people that need Jesus. And if they see you guys partaking in this, they're never going to come. You're going to be just like the culture. Paul's giving a picture of what living in the darkness is, a contrast of living in the darkness and living in the light. And here, last week, he was, he was saying, this is what living in the darkness looks like indeed. This week, he's saying, living in the darkness in thought and in conversation looks like this. Not just the deeds of immorality, but the thoughts and the feelings and the stuff inside. There's no gray area with repentance. It's either Gentile living or what's the word he uses in verse, in verse 4, the last word. It's, a, it's an odd thing that he uses this word. Don't, don't, don't let sexual immorality be named among you or covetousness. No filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, because those are out of place. But what? Thanksgiving. If you think about it, it's the idea of sexual immorality, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk. What does it do? It serves who? It serves yourself. Greed and covetousness. It's, it, it, they always ask the question, what needs is this? What, 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 what is, how is this going to help me? How is this going to serve me? How can this, this participation in sexual immorality in the culture meet my needs? When you're struggling, men, women, probably too, When you're struggling with pornography, you begin to, as me, with me as a young husband, I begin to distance from my wife. Because in my mind, I have this idea of what sex should be like. And it pushes distance between us. Paul is, he's saying... Don't let this be among you. There's no gray area here in in repentance. Tim Keller says this about the culture back then. I thought it was pretty interesting. He says, in Roman culture, people were loose with sex and strict with hospitality and generosity. Early Christians were strict with sex, but usually generous and hospitable. The early church surely looked like it was on the wrong side of history. But instead, it changed history with a dogged dedication to the gospel. Repentance brings freedom too. Chapter, or verse 5 and 6 says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous 
that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See all that freedom language in there? That's a joke. It's a a joke. It makes you think, though, what happens? Paul's saying this, this, this lifestyle, this, this, the thoughts, the deeds, the heart desires, it brings what? It brings destruction, right? It brings death. It brings hell. It brings God's wrath. And these are all really, really good motivators for us, right? To avoid It's good to not want death and hell and destruction. We see the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And they disobey God. And they surely die, don't they? All of these things that Paul's showing and talking about and describing here describe slavery. They describe a false satisfaction. They describe a prison. They describe bondage and chains. If you commit a crime today, you go to jail, right? Is that freedom? Before sin in the garden, the Bible says Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with God. They lived life to the fullest. There was a freedom. There was a freedom of... They they, they had the job of stewarding the earth. just, Just the little job of stewarding the earth. And having dominion over it, right? Stewarding the earth. They named the animals, stewarded the earth. It's a big job. When we repent, we're we're called back into freedom. Repentance brings freedom to be on mission that God's called us to be on. To do his work. To spend his resources. I love it in uh, Ephesians 1.11. This idea of. Kind of contrast what Paul's saying. In this um, verse about inheritance. Ephesians 1.11 says. In him we have obtained an inheritance. This passage talks about this wicked lifestyle being you don't have an inheritance in this lifestyle. You, you lose that. You, you receive God's wrath. Repentance and restoration brings back an inheritance in Christ Jesus. Paul shows that, thirdly, Paul shows that repentance has to be honest. In verses 8 through 11, 
well, in the whole passage, uh, Paul uses a term for light or visibility or darkness um, 12 times. Light, darkness, secret, expose, visible, shine. Verse 8, and 11, 8 through 11 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. You look around the room and it's kind of dark in here. But if you turn all the lights on, you can actually see probably the cockroaches that are over in that corner. <laughs> This, this is a beautiful, beautiful display of honesty, right? This, this idea of light and darkness. I love this about this passage because it's like so matter of fact. Yeah, turn the light on, expose it. Turn the light on and expose it. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Sorry, I got to get... Split pages. That you may be healed. <laughs> I should have known that. <laughs> Bringing our sin to light. It's got to be honest. When you confess your sins, you shine a light on the darkness of your heart. I remember when I was in college... Um, I lived with four other other guys. And I remember when I first met these guys, I was kind of new to the to the whole area. And I started talking to them and they're, you know, just you know, you tell a little bit of your story and you tell them who you are. At the time I really wanted to impress them. And I started telling them that I I used I did um like traded in commodities. It was it was crazy. I don't know why I did that. It was stupid. I wanted them to like me. <laughs> and I don't even know why I chose that, but I, was, I had read about it, and I was like, yeah, I traded in commodities. I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> and for like three months, they thought I was this commodities trader. <laughs> and I mean, some of my roommates were like, oh, I, wanna, I got some money. I want you to trade for me. And I was I'm feeling the heat of like, I can't. I've never done it. I just read about it. <laughs> I remember one, the, just, I remember the Holy Spirit just pitch, like chipping away at my heart, saying, you got to come clean with these guys, man. This is, this is stupid. But I was like, they're going to hate. They're going to be so, I mean, I'm, I feel so ashamed. They're not going to like me. They're not going to. They're going to think I'm an idiot. And I remember one night, we're sitting around, we're going to watch a movie, and we got the lights kind of off, maybe a couple uh, TVs on, we're watching this movie, and it's like thunder and lightning outside, and I hear the tornado sirens going. on. I went to school in Oklahoma, and I hear the tornado sirens going on, and then out 
the, the power goes out. And I'm sitting there in the dark, and I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, tell, the guy, tell these guys, tell them, what, tell them the truth about yourself. Tell them what's going on. And so I told him, I said, hey, guys, I, I got something to say in the middle of this tornado experience. <laughs> said, I haven't been entirely honest with you guys. I'm not a day trader. I didn't, never traded commodities. The whole thing was made up. And my roommate goes, do we know that? We knew you were lying. <laughs> We knew you were lying the whole time. It's all right, man. It's all right. <clears throat> he said, we love you. We know God's changing your heart. We can see that. Repentance has to be honest. We said it before. There's, it can't be in the shadows. You can't live with one foot in the shadows and one foot in the light. It's got to be honest. And it's funny, when you talk about repent and believe, I was thinking as I put this all together, and meaning my outline and started writing it up and stuff. I was thinking repent and believe, but I think it's actually, I think it works in the opposite way many, in many cases. Because... If I don't believe, I'm not going to repent. This is a nuisance. <laughs> Believing. You have to know that God is trustworthy. Verses 13 and 14 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And you think about that, and it's like, how does that show that God is trustworthy? If you turn the light on, it's going to make everything, trans it's going to reveal everything. That's how trustworthy God is in, in dealing with our hearts. That's how trustworthy he is in doing what he said he was going to do. It's as certain as the light is to shine everything. It's as certain as that last part that says Christ will shine on you. It's not an if, he might, he may, he will. God is trustworthy. There's a, um, there's a cool book I've, I've read in the past and I've kind of become re uh, reacquainted with it's called The Cure. And in this book, it's, it's an allegory of this Christian's walk and journey. And they come to this crossroads, and one of the signs of the crossroads says, uh, this is a, if you want to go this way, it's a trail to, to pleasing God, and this way is a, tra a trail to trusting God. And in the, in the book, the person goes over to the, the way of pleasing God, and there's a place called the Room of good intentions. And then they also go over to the, to the trail where it says pleasing God and there's, there's a place called the room of grace. And 
in the room of good intentions, there's a banner that says, striving hard to be all God wants me to be. And in the room of grace, there's a banner that says, standing with God, my sin in front of me, working on it together. And the, the character in the book goes from one to the other and gets to the room of grace. And they come to this, this epiphany, I guess. And this is what, what they say. Before, God was always over there on the other side of my sin, obscured by this mound of trash between us. But now I realize he's here with me on this side. He puts his hands on my shoulders and he stares into my eyes. There's no disappointment, no condemnation. There's only delight. There's only love. He pulls me into a big bear hug so tight it knocks the breath out of me for a moment. At first I feel unworthy. I want to push my way and cry out, I don't deserve this. Please stop. I'm not who you think I am. But he does know. And soon I give in to his embrace. I hear him say, I know. I know. I'm known from before time began. I've seen it all. I'm right here. I got you. God is trustworthy. We're not going to resolve our own sin by working on it. And more right behavior plus less wrong behavior doesn't equal godliness. You can trust God because, one, you've been made new in Christ Jesus. And two, you can trust him because he's sealed you with his very spirit. How you view yourself in this regard spiritually is the greatest commentary on how you view God. If you don't believe that he has made you new, or that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, it will affect everything. How many of you guys have watched a movie? I'm dating myself, I'm sure. <laughs> movie called The Matrix. Come on, The Matrix. The final scene of The Matrix, right? Neo, played by Keanu Reeves. He's standing in this corridor... And he sees Agent Smith and the two other agents, I forget their names, at the end of the corridor. And this, 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 it's like this, bat, this battle. And Agent Smith pulls his gun out, and, he, and he, they all pull their guns out, and they start shooting at Neo. And he finally realizes that he's got control over the whole matrix. Like he's got, he understands who he is. 
and what the situation is. And it's the coolest thing because the bullets are coming. There's like 30 of them. And he, he finally understands who he is. He finally gets, he finally, like the whole movie is hints at it and it hints at it and it hints at it. And you see glimpses of it and how he responds or how he fights a, a certain fight scene. But at this, in this last scene, he finally understands and, he, and he, he puts his hand up and the bullets stop. And they're sitting in midair. And he, he reaches out. I'm checking the time, Kenny. I got <laughs> He reaches out and he grabs one. He looks at it. And he drops it. And he looks up. And all the bullets drop. And Agent Smith, oh, he gets mad. And he runs down the corridor at Neo. <laughs> and he starts, like, fighting him. And Neo's standing there. And it's almost slow motion. He's like, boom, 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 boom. And eventually he turns like this and he just goes. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing like before in the movie, Agent Smith was a bad dude and he would beat the. Yeah. He would beat him up. <laughs> Pretty good. But it's such a cool illustration of how when we finally understand these truths about how God has done these things, that we can trust him. It affects the way we live. It actually empowers us to repent and live in the light. It actually kind of makes you go, you know what, why would I ever hide anything? Why? I'm, I'm made new. I'm made new. And I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's talking to me saying, hey, Tom, yeah, that probably wasn't so good. Turn from that. Repent. I've got something better for you. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus accomplished this already. We're not perfect. He's making us perfect. He's sanctifying us, drawing us to uh, sanctification, to holiness, making us holy. We are given the righteousness of Christ. From the moment you trust Jesus, you have been made right with God. You're no longer who you were, even on your worst day. Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, or will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. You can trust God. He loves you too much to let you just stay where you are. He loves you too much. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore now, there is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to be ashamed of. To live in the light, to walk in the light. In John 6.39 Love this. This has helped me so much over my Christian walk. 
It says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So glad for that. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. And kind of finally, as we wrap this up, his way is so much better. It's so much better. There's a book that I've kind of read over the years multiple times. It's called Desiring God by a pastor named John Piper. And he says it this way. He says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. C.S. Lewis says it too. He says it this way. He says, sorry, I didn't, I didn't memorize it. Come on. He says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. (laughs) It is an emergency. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it's meant. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're all okay. Let me. That's all right. No worries. Let me read that again. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. It's crazy to compare it to a child. How many of you have children? How many of you offer, know that if you offer your kids a piece of candy today or 10,000 boxes of candy tomorrow, what are they going to choose? Today. <laughs> Am I wrong? We are like children. We have such a narrow vision of what satisfies. I can look back to just high school, early college, growing up, becoming an adult, I can remember wanting things like, oh, if I could just have that really cool watch that I saw, you know, life would be awesome. If I could just buy that Honda CRX that was the car back then, I was like, oh, I want to, I, I have to have this Honda CRX. It's so cool. I'm blinded by the conflict between my satisfaction and the true fulfillment of God's call to live a holy life. I tend to see the difference 
is some troublesome sacrifice of comfort or pleasure in order to avoid punishment or, or in order to be accepted by God and others. It becomes a duty, not a desire. The truth is that my idea of what will satisfy is skewed, and it always turns out to be much less satisfying or fulfilling than what God has in mind for me. Like C.S. Lewis says, I'm far too easily satisfied. Paul's admonition here is, don't settle for less. God has designed something greater than sexual immorality, than covetousness, than impurity. Be thankful for that. His design for how things work and how we are to function, his design's infinitely more satisfying. And it's infinitely more fulfilling than what we usually pursue. So for New City today, I think Paul is saying, look guys, if you even talk and think about this stuff, it's sin. It's sin. You can't justify it. There's no gray area. Your good news is, bring it to the light. You're forgiven. You're made new. And I'm marking you with the Holy Spirit to live in pursuit of something that's way better than that anyway. I love this, this quote from that book, The Cure. It says, what if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would not be loved less but more in the telling of it. So as we, as we close today, bang on, one minute. Nice. <laughs> as we close today, I want to invite the worship team back up. I want to invite the people who stand up here and pray for other people, that, that group of people. <laughs> or if you feel like you want to stand up here and pray for people. I think it demands a response. I think it demands a response as after we leave here for sure. But today as we're, st we're still here, I think it demands a response to celebrate. Not that we can do anything but that something's been done for us that we can embrace. We can, we can come and, and take communion where we've got the bread and the wine and the bread that, first the bread that represents the broken body of Christ who, who was broken for our trespasses. And the blood that washes us. I guess my, my mic. Is that good? Sorry, it sounded like it went out. The wine represents his blood that washes us clean and makes us clean. And as we, as we take communion together, I want to invite you not to just do it by yourself. I want to invite you to, to ask the question, who do I trust? 
to know the hard and vulnerable things about me right now as I go and take the bread and the wine and remember Jesus. How can I confess? Who can I talk to? Or who is God putting on my heart to go and have communion with today? I want to invite you to do that. Obviously, it's not a mandatory thing, but I think it would be a good thing for us to do. So the call to celebrate is to continue to worship and, and praise God for this good news. The call is to come and repent, confess to one another. Because we've been made new and we're marked with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And the call is to come and take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did as he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're good. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you have you have created us for something so so much better than sometimes what we pursue. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us, for giving your life for us that we might be made righteous, that we might be reconciled to the Father. God, let us respond as a, as a people in a city. Let us respond to this call to holiness in a way that is filled with grace that comes from an identity of being beloved sons and daughters who have been made new, who have been given your very spirit to live life. Let our response come from that place, from this identity. And let the motivation be, God, today and going forward, let it be a motivation of wanting so much more than what this world has to offer. God, we have a lot of people in here professed the name of Jesus for their salvation, but I'm asking, God, that we would be able to say, Jesus, you're my treasure. You're my hope. You're what I value the most. We celebrate with one another today as we close and we just worship you, Lord. And we thank you. Holy Spirit, come and do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.